It's the show where Hawaii's newsmakers come to talk and to take your questions live. From the nation's capital to Honolulu Hale, from the state legislature to the fifth floor, we bring the experts to you and ask them what you want to know. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Palaisuji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Aloha and thanks so much for tuning in here on this Wednesday morning. I'm Ryan Kalei-Suji, joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. First off, I just want to disclaimer out there, I am overcoming laryngitis. It's my first <laughs> day back with a somewhat full voice, so I apologize if I sound a little raspy, but... Uh, this morning, Yanji, we are focusing in on a conversation that we had at the very beginning of the pandemic. That's right. You know, when the pandemic first started and we were all under lockdown, there were a lot of concerns about the mental well-being of all of us, but particularly young people and particularly kids at home. At that time, we had Britt Young on from Explore Counseling. She's a counselor there and the executive director of that organization. We've invited her back along with her colleague, Alexis Lane, who's a mental health counselor, also with Explore Counseling, to give us a pulse on where kids are now. Uh, we are not in those throes of the pandemic, Brit, where we were a couple of years ago, but we're still experiencing a lot of hardship. Uh, welcome back. Thanks for both of you Thank for being you. here. Uh, Britt, let's start off with you. What are you seeing now versus when we spoke a few years ago about where kids were at? So when we first spoke, it seems like a million years ago, but it was just a, a few years ago. Um, you know, it was very uncertain. We didn't know what was going to happen to our children for our children. Um, but what we predicted was that there would be a lot of distress around isolation, a lot of distress around not having these social outlets. Because we are, by human nature, social beings who need connection, we did wonder what's going to happen to children who are forced to stay at home and perhaps either entertain themselves from time to time or be in virtual classrooms. And sure as anything, you know, what we predicted in many ways did come true. There was a lot of what we call Social, social isolation distress. And for especially for those children who loved being part of a community and liked their baseball teams and all of the above, they went into what we would call anxiety stages. They went into uh, depressive mood quite a bit. I think we believe we saw about a third of an increase in the number of depression and anxiety cases that we were seeing in our practice. Um, and what's really interesting is that at the beginning of the pandemic and all the way through, we saw systemic problems. So we have to remember that families are systems. And so if one child is, let's say, an extrovert, she's 12 years old and she loves being with her friends and now she's forced to be home and she becomes depressed and anxious. Well, that then in turn makes mom feel depressed and anxious. What am I doing wrong? Which reflects on how she parents the other children, which reflects on her marriage. So what we actually saw was the contamination almost of this COVID epidemic and COVID pandemic on the whole family system. So not just one child or one parent. Now, fast forward two and a half, three years, and what we're seeing is re-immersion anxiety. That's what I call it anyway. So let's say your child is a born introvert and kind of liked staying at home. Well, the opposite happened to your extroverted children, right? Now these introverts are being forced to go back out, reintegrate and do it now and do it fully. 
And a lot of them are experiencing distress because how do I do that? Do I remember how to be social? Loneliness was a learned thing for quite a while. And they people learned how to be alone. And now we're taking our children saying, well, unlearn that. So it's just, we haven't gotten a break. If it wasn't depression and anxiety on the front end, we're seeing it on the back end. It's flowing through the entire family system. It's a lot, even just to say it out loud, right? We've got five members of a family, every person feeling some distress. Uh, Alexis, I want to get your thoughts on, on what you've experienced uh, during this time as we emerge out of the pandemic. You know, there was obviously some concern about learning loss, but now we're also seeing that there is this social side as well. Uh, this loss of interaction. How how have you seen that pan out over time, and and the differences of, of of this loss that we're experiencing on both ends? Sure. Yeah. I think um, at the beginning of the pandemic, we definitely saw you know that isolation piece adding to the tension within the family, but also you know within the schools, learning how to adjust to this new stay at home order and, you know, provide the right curriculum and help these kids, you know, move on through the year and continue their learning um, and engaging kiddos in the classroom we saw as a huge issue. And now towards the tail end of this pandemic, we're seeing a different issue here. We're seeing a lot of anxiety, like Britta said, with the reemergen, with the integration of schools, um, and just with social gatherings in general. I think we're seeing a lot of pressure on the schools to reintegrate as quickly as possible and kiddos as well. And there's really no timeline to it. This is not something that a lot of us have ever dealt with before. So it's just an unknown that we're facing. Tons of anxiety, tons of, you know, um, just questions for everyone, um, mental health counselors and teachers, all providers just trying to support these kids through this transition. It's truly a tough time for everyone. It's so interesting, Britt. I wonder if you can take a sort of age group by age group, um, you know, because all the, you know, different age groups obviously face different challenges um, and sort of where you're seeing or what kinds of issues you're seeing in, you know, in kids. And I wonder if you could maybe do sort of the pre-K set, elementary school, middle school and high school, um, if you would take us through that. Sure. Let's do the lifespan here. Yeah. You know, um, I just read something super interesting about even toddlers through preschool that these developmental milestones through language, especially and recognizing facial expressions, which is so important for us, that that has been developmentally arrested. Right. So can we blame the masks? Well, maybe, maybe a little bit. Right. But really, kids are not picking up on social cues and things like that at this age. So that would be your, you know, toddler to preschool age. When it comes to elementary school age, um, we're getting reports from a lot of teachers, and I believe you have a personal story, Yunji, around a friend who says, uh, you know, she's a teacher and says, you know, there might be a third grader chronologically in my classroom, but uh, this developmentally is a first grader. And I have to be honest with you, I'm not super optimistic that that's going to change anytime soon. So what do first graders do versus third graders, right? A lot. There's a lot of de developmental chasm. So um, what do we do with those expectations as a community? Maybe we're a little more forgiving. Maybe we see a child who looks 12 and we say, you know what, it's okay if they act a little bit immature. But right, you're going to see elementary school wise, um, perhaps some school refusal, especially if there's immersion anxiety. Um, you might see tantruming that wouldn't normally be in, in a third grader's vocabulary, but is in a first grader's. 
Um, even some regression around um, developmental tasks, being able to everything from tie one's shoe to, uh, gosh, communicate one's feelings effectively. So I think especially when it comes to elementary school, take what you're seeing in front of you and maybe subtract two years. And maybe that's where your expectations should lie. Um, middle schoolers have always been in the middle. I guess that's why they, they use that vernacular. Um, but again, they still haven't caught up. So uh, middle schoolers were already socially um, anxious quite a bit, especially, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, trying to fit in. Where do I fit into this world? In middle school, you're starting to imagine a sense of self. So if you've got middle schoolers who have been through a pandemic, are they going to be more socially awkward? Are they going to be more socially anxious? I would say very possibly so. And then high school, um, I had two high schoolers going through the pandemic. And what I did see was um, quite a few extroverted high schoolers who were excited about their high school experience. They wanted to experience all the things. They had to go into almost a period of grief um, around what they missed. So what I saw through the high schoolers was not only developmental arresting um, and possible regression, but they had this I don't know, air about them that was almost grief because as kids grow up, they imagine the high school experience to be this thing with proms and homecomings and football games. And so many of them had to go through a mourning period, a grief period about what they weren't getting. So um, so by the time they're a graduate in high school, you might have a two-year developmental slash chronological misalignment, if that's the way to put it. You might also have kids who have been through extreme grief over what they missed, awkwardness and social anxiety over the middle school years, and then regression through the elementary school years. And you put that all in one big pot and you have a child and a teen and a young adult who might be a little wobbly as they enter adulthood, frankly. Yeah, Alexis, let's continue on that, uh, on that, you know, looking at the different ages. Where do you see uh, the biggest issues? And I guess there, I mean, if you have a child of any of those ages and they're experiencing, then that's obviously the biggest for you. But where do you see the most challenges in this? I, I think, you know, as a parent of two young children, I thought, oh, well, good. My kids will kind of not know that this happened. Mm -hmm. uh, but clearly, I mean, Britt's talking about the toddler set even having those issues. So where do you see the biggest issues in terms of age range and the effects? Sure. I think the biggest issues is with those younger folks, because again, if you have a three-year-old at the beginning of the pandemic, and now they are, you know, maybe five or six, this is half of their lifespan we're talking about that has been lived through this pandemic with the social distancing and the isolation and the mask wearing. And it is much more harder to acclimate to this new normal as we are starting to remove these masks and starting to integrate back in the classroom. We see a lot more anxiety with kiddos because these protocols and these standards that we've developed throughout the pandemic have been half of their lifespan. So it is a much more hard time for kiddos to adjust through this period as opposed to the older kiddos who this has maybe been two of, you know, maybe they're 15 at the beginning of the pandemic and now they're 17. This has just been a two-year period for them. And the adjustment and the re-emergent is much easier. Although, as Britt was saying, you know, definitely spike rates of anxiety and depression. And, you know, that social anxiety piece um, we typically see in teens is more heightened. So there's definitely that on that end. 
But I would say, you know, the greater effects have been on the young folks and just, you know, living most of their life through this pandemic period, it is a much harder adjustment and we're seeing a harder time on that end. But I will say there is a positive piece to this pandemic. For a lot of the older kids, you know, middle school and up, we see um, a higher intelligence with technology, you know, with the pandemic and everything being at home. We see a lot of things being adjusted to online, the curriculum, how to navigate the internet, how to navigate technology in general. And that is a huge boost as it is 2023. So as we move into the future and we move towards, you know, more use of technology and working that way through these online platforms, we do see a boost of intelligence in these kiddos at the older end um, moving towards the future. So that is a benefit to this pandemic per se, um, because there is more integration of technology and this is going to be huge in the future. But I would say with the kiddos on the younger end, it is a much harder adjustment. Uh, and Alexis, I'm, I'm wondering if I can ask you, you know, with all that you mentioned and because of the separation, some parents may mm -hmm. think, OK, the, what I need to do is just get my kids now involved in everything and, you know, mm -hmm. make up for lost time, so to speak. Is that what you would recommend? I mean, what is with this disconnect and with this lack of interaction that many are experiencing, what is the best course of action for reintegration uh, in this method? Sure. I think it really depends on the kiddo, you know, because everybody develops differently and each unique kiddo has their own unique needs and those things need to be emphasized at the forefront of planning and reintegration. I will say that um, as much socializing as possible is a good thing and that is something for parents to, you know, lean in towards. But you know, the pressure that I think these kiddos feel. Um, for example, uh, a few of the clients I worked with, I was told that their schools were making kind of a hard, fast rule to uh, just remove masks. And that was a huge adjustment for a lot of kiddos. And we saw increases in anxiety and just, you know, um, kiddos really not wanting to move, remove the mask and just a huge wall. So I think as we're reintegrating and we're thinking about, you know, socialization and, and leaning towards that, and I'd say um, slow and steady is the way to go. We definitely don't want to push anything on anybody because that's where you see um, more pushback from the kiddos and, you know, heightened spikes of anxiety there as well. And Britt, do you have any thoughts on that, on, on the reintegration piece? Uh, my, my general mantra is nudge, don't push. Um, and that goes for so many things when it comes to children. What you see is um, if you're tempted to push your child back into four day a week practices for baseball and then weekends with tennis. And then, by the way, there's the Elks Club on the week on, on Sunday afternoons. Um, if you can resist that temptation to throw everything back in the pot, um, like Alexis was saying, maybe slow and steady is the better um, adjustment uh, strategy. What we know is that um, the brain needs some time to readjust. We are creatures of what we call inertia, right? So a body at rest tends to stay at rest. And so we have learned how to stay at rest and not be going, going, going. So in order, if you do want to reintegrate fully at some point, you can't just tell the brain, we'll get up and go. The brain isn't used to that. So the best way to do it is to nudge, 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 and not to push. 
if you can hold back on that, because if you do over push, you will get the absolute pushback from your children, which can then lead to conflict and all the other things that we don't want. But um, I understand how parents want to get the, the ball rolling again. I deeply empathize. Um, but you might do more harm than good if you throw everything at your child at once. Yeah. And, and Britt, let's stay with you for a second. Uh, tell me a little bit about how a parent can assess whether their child, and maybe the parent is the one to make that assessment, whether they're, <laughs> these are just natural growing pains, right? Oh, my kid's just being a teenager or my child's just being a toddler versus yeah. this is something that needs some interventions and, and how best to navigate it. Because again and again, when I talk to my friends uh, who have children, those who do want to get into some kind of therapy, be it play therapy, talk therapy, what, what have you, they just can't find those resources yes. right now. And that is extremely unfortunate. And I definitely want to talk to that. Uh, so one of the joys of being a parent is living in this area where you have no idea whether this is developmentally or characterologically your child, or if this is uh, something that needs to be addressed right away. Um, if you have a, you know, any parent can relate. If you have a child who, who says they're sick a lot, but really these are minor things that they can still move through, then you're less likely to pay so much attention to their ailments. And then, of course, the one time that you're like, you're fine, then they have a spiking fever. So, you know, it's just it's the thankless job of being a parent to live in this darkness. But there are a few things you can take note of. You know, one thing that did rise quite a bit was what we call self-harm. Um, and this necess wouldn't necessarily be maybe elementary school. However, it was starting younger and younger. Um, not to investigate your child up and down, but notice if they are doing anything that's either emotionally self-harming or physically self-harming. Emotional self-harming would be like um, talking very badly about themselves, being unkind to themselves out loud or in private and you overhear it, um, denigrating themselves, uh, walking in front of a mirror and making a face that looks like they're just disgusted with what they see. These are some of the very small things you can pick up on. And of course, physical self-harm would be anything you notice on their bodies around have they been even snapping a rubber band to hurt themselves? Have they been picking their cuticles so much that they're bleeding? God forbid, have they been using razor blades or anything sharp to self-harm on their arms? Um, I don't want to alarm any parents out there, but this is the real world we're living in right now. So being hyper aware of your own family system and what tensions there are in the house can also be helpful. Um, if you know that there are rising tensions and you can feel them too as mom or as dad or as uncle or whoever, you can bet your children are feeling that and they're reacting some way. So I always tell parents, I'm like, look, if you feel the temperature in the house rising, figuratively speaking, and you're feeling like things are really combustible here, look for signs in your children of distress. And those are just some of the emotional and physical signs, but they are very important. And that would be a time to get immediate help um, if at all possible. Yeah, and Alexis, how do we find that help if you are a parent and you do notice some of these issues or you just want an assessment given the lack of uh, therapists available right now, how do you suggest parents navigate that? Yeah, I don't mean to put too much pressures on the schools here, but again, our kids are going to school and they are spending majority of their time with their teachers and with the staff 
around them. So I think having a strong relationship with the school and specifically your child's teachers is a huge benefit to kind of assessing where your kiddo is at as we reintegrate into the schools and we move forward into the future. Um, just having as many eyes on your kiddo uh, as possible and just having that clear, open communication can really help you decipher, you know, what's normal behavior based on, you know, grand majority of the kiddos in the classroom and what really needs an extra look at and maybe some extra support there. But there are a lot of supports that are available through the schools. And I encourage parents out there to really lean into their schools and, you know, build that relationship so they can kind of navigate the situation together. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all on the same team here. Mm-hmm. And Alexis, I just want to ask you, you know, this is we're talking about, of course, children specifically and, and, and the challenges that they have. But there are these parents who may also be experiencing the same things that we're talking about, reintegration, getting back to being social again uh, while managing a family and trying to look after the kids. Uh, and, and stress level could be high with work and everything else that is being involved in this. Uh, what is your advice to the parent as a whole if someone is feeling overwhelmed by all of this uh, and managing this this life? Uh, while caring for their kid. Yeah, I think it's good to know that you're not alone in this. So many of us are feeling that pressure to readjust as quickly as possible. And, you know, with that pressure comes the tension in the family with your kiddos and with your spouses. And if you yourself are feeling, you know, just overwhelmed with everything that is life now post-pandemic, I encourage folks other than, you know, seeking out resources in your community, whether it be um, counseling or maybe you know, yoga or what have you, I think self-care is really important. And um, for some folks, it it feels like so overwhelming to even add something else to their agenda. But self-care can be so simple. It can be five minutes a day. It could be even just a few breaths to yourself in the car. But I think a little bit of self-care goes a long way. And I really encourage folks out there, if you are overwhelmed, to take that time to, you know, Find what works for you and really just make sure that you're taking care of yourself because you're not in a great place. It is so hard to then, you know, give to your kids and give to your spouse and and be good at work. So really making sure you are balanced each and every day before you go out and live your life is going to be key in this adjustment period. Yeah, I, I, just to jump in, I was going to say a happy parent is the best parent. So if you're able to... Um, here's here's the problem, just to, to add to what Alexis was, was saying, which is so important, is that every fiber of our body is telling us just go home, lay on the sofa, you know, just tune out the world, right? But really, it's oxymoronic because isolation doesn't help us in the long run. So really, we need to examine what our brain is telling us. Don't go out. Don't meet up with friends. Just stay home and then understand the evolved brain saying, no, 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 connection is good. Do go out, put on your shoes, get out the door, get some sunshine. So we have this psychic conflict as adults going on. We want to just veg out and not do anything because we're so overwhelmed, but we also simultaneously know that if we do go out, uh, that will help our state of mind and our mental health, you know, and also as parents, if you can remember that a happy child isn't necessarily the um, the end goal here, and I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback from that, but it's a well-adjusted child. 
You know, if we just keep, why isn't my child happy? I've got to make my child happy. Then we end up bending over backwards trying to make our child happy. What do we want? We want a well-adjusted, mature, successful child. And happiness comes from being well-adjusted. So not as much pressure on yourself to make your child happy in all moments. Yeah. That's important. And, and I want to ask you um, about just the lack of resources. We know that in Hawaii, we have, uh, you know, what, whatever your business at the moment, it's hard to find workers and it's particularly hard mm -hmm. to find mental health professionals. Tell us a little bit about what you mm -hmm. think could happen on a legislative level that could actually bring parents some relief. So the, the, um, the goal for last year was to create something called an associate licensure level. And it actually exists in most states where um, a college graduate would go to master's program or a PhD program to become a clinician. And then after that is completed, then they still have maybe two years of work where they need to gain hours toward licensure. And only then will insurance companies pay for, for uh, services. What we did introduce last year as a group uh, with the uh, MFTs and also with the uh, psychologists was the possibility of creating what we call an associate level licensure where insurance companies would still reimburse for services uh, rendered by those who have graduated but are still under supervision. And it did die last year. We are reintroducing it again. That could add dozens, if not hundreds, of mental health professionals and qualified mental health professionals, may I add, uh, to our population to really ease the burden. So we are working very hard with the legislature this year. So we're very hopeful. You know, we're almost out of time here, uh, but before we go, I just wanted to allow you both to just kind of share one last tip or, or word of advice for any parents out there who, you know, are experiencing some of the things that we've talked about th this morning so far. Alexis, we'll start off with you. Uh, your final message to our parents out there who may be a little frustrated or worried and, and any advice that you can provide. Yeah, I think my advice is really simple. It's just give yourself grace, give your kids grace, um, meaning this is something that so many of us have never experienced before in our lifetime. We are all in the dark here, trudging through it together. So, you know, lower the expectations, lower the stress levels, lower, you know, any um, anything inside of you that's telling you to kind of like Britt said, hit the ground running and just reintegrate as soon as possible and really just take it easy on yourself because this is an unknown that we're facing and giving yourself that grace and accepting what is will alleviate some of that pressure and kind of help everyone adjust a lot more smoothly and um, a lot more naturally. So grace. Mm -hmm. And Britt, your I final thought this morning? You know, the word that keeps coming up for me is connection, seeking connection. It's It was robbed. We were robbed of connection for two years. And even though the effort to regain and maintain connections is so difficult because we were trained to not seek it for so long, I think when it comes to my overarching advice, it would be to find those deep connections again, um, nurture them, hold them tight encourage them and your children. We absolutely know without a shadow of a doubt that your mental health is uniquely tied to the amount of meaningful connections you have in your life. So we were robbed. We were absolutely robbed for a couple of years of those connections. And it's time, if you can, to open that door again, even when you feel like, oh, the last thing I want to do is go have pizza at Jay Dolan's with so-and-so. Uh, money back guarantee you will be so happy you did.
<laughs> I love that advice. <laughs> Thank you both for, for I guess. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Thank you both for being here this morning. Britt Young and Alexis Lane, both of Explore Counseling. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This is Thank awesome you. what you guys are doing. Thank you, Thank you so much. Aloha. Very interesting to hear. I particularly liked Ryan when they broke it down sort of age group by age group and learning about uh, the different challenges that each, each face. And there was this feeling, I think, for parents of particularly young children that, oh, it's okay, they're not gonna remember. But you know, uh, you heard Alexis there really make the point that this is half their life potentially, or maybe even more that was gone through this. And so the expectation that they'll just reemerge and jump back in uh, is unreasonable. And, and really for all of us, I know that um, it was a while ago that we sort of started to reemerge, but I, I myself felt that like, whoa, this is a big crowd. Am I, is this okay? Mm -hmm. And you imagine that magnified in children. And so just giving them the space and the grace is really good advice. Interesting to also hear about their legislative action there. Yeah. And just the amount of support or lack thereof here on Island and finding ways and opportunities because there is such a demand for these families and counselors who, who are seeking out help and support. Uh, you know, they also listed a few other things uh, just everyday people can do uh, just trying to get reintegrated into society once again but also being comfortable with uh, managing the expectation of their children and then how to reintegrate children into everyday life and not necessarily throwing everything back on the plate uh, so to speak and, and having the kids involved in multiple activities and sporting events but finding ways to just slowly begin that reintegration process knowing that uh, it, it has been some time since uh, you know obviously this lockdown and all the effects that have happened uh, and we're still waiting to see how things pan out. Uh, this has been something that is new to everyone, including kids. And we're going to be learning a lot of these long-term effects uh, that we've heard, uh, you know, officials like Keith Hayashi of the Department of Education speak about and some of their concerns overall as well. Yeah, so very interesting. We, we thank them both for being here this morning. Uh, and speaking of the legislature, of course, it is opening day today. And we have invited Lieutenant Governor Sylvia Luke to join us right here on Friday. She unveiled some of her initiatives with taking on uh, preschool education and really trying to oversee that expansion and shepherd that through the legislature last year, allocating $200 million to really build up facilities and hopefully then uh, fill those classrooms for the pre-K set what is it going to take for that to happen? And uh, how does this administration plan to do it? We'll ask her about that. Plus more about her relationship with the governor and, uh, you know, sort of how they're acclimating to the fifth floor. Yeah, excited to get an update from her in her first uh, appearance on the show in the capacity of Lieutenant Governor. Uh, we look forward to that conversation. We hope you'll join us right back here on Friday for another edition of Spotlight Hawaii. Until then, take care and aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs.